as we remember what our God has done. We always want to go back and look throughout history. And this certain passage is this song of Moses. As he has saved his people, this is Moses' response. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This morning and every morning as we get up, the Lord redeems us. The Lord fights for us. He does great things in our midst. And this morning as we sing, as we hear the word, let us remember all that he has done for us. Sing this together. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at his feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Sing us together. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You freed every captive and broke every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh, Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. You've been faithful, you've been faithful through every storm. You've been faithful forevermore. You have done great
over us today as we are in week seven. Oh, it's up there? Wonderful. Thank you, Alex. Question seven in our the New City Catechism as we're going through it. We're going to be in about eight weeks about the law. So this is week one. The question is this, and say this answer with me as it's on the screen. What does the law of God require? Personal perfect and perpetual obedience, that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. What forbids should never be done, and what commands should always be done. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 37 and 40, says, And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And we're going to be talking way more about this in the next few weeks, but for this morning, just those two commands, that we are to love God 
and love our neighbor. As we continue, can we pray and just ask God to help us in both of those things? Lord, we read passages like this and we feel so woefully inadequate. Lord, we see in our own hearts our lack of love for you, our lack of love for one another. Lord, thank you that as we look at passages like this, that it ultimately brings us to what we cannot do in and of ourselves, but what only you can do. And so we lay ourselves at your feet. We ask that you would do those things within us in increasing measure. Thank you for the finished work of the cross this morning. As we have just saying that you have done great things. Lord, you have done things that are impossible for us to do. Thank you that with you all things are possible. Lord, that you are not only able, but that you are willing. So we call out to you knowing that you are not just a, an able, but a willing God. But we cry out to you. Future is here. 
knowing that not a word that you say will not come to pass, but that all your promises are yes and amen. Lord, we trust you. Lord, not just with our eternity, but with our lives here. Lord, everything that happens, we put into your powerful, omnipotent hands knowing that you are in control. Thank you for being a faithful God, a faithful Father, a compassionate God who loves us beyond anything that we could ever hope to comprehend. Thank you for loving us that much. Prepare our hearts as we hear your word today from Hebrews 11. May it find root within us and may strengthen our faith as we hear. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So this morning, it is the, the younger ages today, right? Four through, four through six. Four through six can be dismissed for Bibleville. Good morning. There it is. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to close out, Lord willing, Hebrews 11 this morning. 
uh, and move on to Hebrews 12. We've been going through the book of Hebrews for the entirety of this year, and we'll be there basically until the Advent season starts. If you, uh, especially maybe today, if you're interested in having an outline, I've got uh, a handful of them on the back. If we run out, I've left one on the copier. Copies can be made. We can chop them up and you can have one. Uh, It's going to have all of the scripture references that I'm using in the sermon today, which is, um, I think, the value of having one of those. Um, Okay, et cetera. You've probably used that word. Maybe you've heard that word used before. It's a Latin phrase that means and the rest. And it's abbreviated E-T-C, period. You'll often see it at the end of a list. You might say lions and tigers and bears, etc. Sometimes people use the phrase to communicate that there are too many examples or additional items to list. And sometimes people, rather incorrectly, use it because they've run out of examples to give. Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 40, reads like one big etc. of our author's recap of the Old Testament narratives of ancient faith. And he uses it the right way because there are too many examples to list, not because he's run out of examples. As a matter of fact, when you read it, he's actually going to say something like, I'm going to run out of time before I run out of examples of faith in the Old Testament. You get the sense that he's just getting started. And the fact that this is like a rapid fire list of people and actions that acts as a big etc. doesn't make what it says any less important. It's still just as relevant and vital for the people of God today as it was when it was written, as it was when those deeds happened. And we're going to learn three major things that faith can do in the people of God. So stand with me and let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, you have gathered your people together again to hear your word. And oh, what a good word it is. Good for us to hear. Good for us to believe. Good for us to obey. Help us in our time together to see the goodness of your word to us. To bow our knee to its authority because we love and treasure your authority. Lord, I pray that we would have in our church for as long as it exists the right preaching of the word. God, give me faithful interpretation, relevant application, and let it all be to the glory of God the Father. I pray that you would focus our hearts upon Christ as you focus the hearts of the saints of old upon your promises. We see that Christ is the yes and amen to the promises that you've made. So may we exalt him in the time that you've given us together and help us to leave this place different because we've gathered in your name to hear your word and to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In verses 32 through 35a, which just a is the first half of that verse, what you see is faith caused them to accomplish great things. And by them, I mean the saints of old, the Old Testament saints we've been studying through all of Hebrews 11 in what some people call the hall of faith. And what happens is the author throws out names, not even in chronological order as we might like them. He throws out names from the time of the judges and then the time of the transition period with Samuel and then the time of the kings and then he just mentions the prophets. Now, I'm not one to judge biblical authors and I realize having said that, that that probably sounds bad, but when you read this, you read Barak, Samson, Jephthah and Gideon. If I were writing this, These are not the four names that I would have started with. Now, again, I'm not a biblical author. I'm not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm grateful that those four names are the names that are there. And here's why. Because the reason that I would give for not wanting to include these people as examples for the people of God are the same reasons that their inclusion should encourage the people of God. And here's what it is. These men lived in what can only be described as basically the Wild West period of Israel during the time of the judges. There was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes, including some of these guys, right? Like Gideon refused to fight unless God met his demands to wet the fleece one night with dry ground around it and in the reverse the next day. Okay, And then after he does all the things that he's uh, commended for here, 
he actually makes something called an ephod and it, it becomes what the Bible calls a snare to him. It's an idol. The, the people of Israel, after he delivers them, he makes an idol and they all worship it. Okay, that's Gideon. Barak refuses to go to war unless a woman named Deborah comes with him. And what she says, I'm not saying this, this is what she says. She says, I will come with you, but you need to understand that you're not gonna get the victory. There's gonna be a woman who takes the dignity and honor of the victory from your hand, okay? Okay, so that's what happens. That's exactly what happened. He says, fine, you come with me because I'm not going unless you come, okay? So uh, there's, a, there's another lady who ends up, this is when she drives the tent peg through his head. Uh, the Sisera is the, the captain of the army there. Um, and then you have uh, Samson. Oh, well, goodness gracious, don't we all know Samson, who was a womanizer, who was a covenant breaker. And we also know Jephthah, or maybe that one is the more obscure one, where in order to secure a victory, he makes what's called in at least the ESV, a tragic vow where he says the first, if you will give me victory, Lord, the first thing that comes out of my house, I will offer as a burnt offering to you. And when he comes home, having been victorious, his daughter walks out of the house to greet him. And he follows through and sacrifices his own child as a burnt offering to the Lord for giving. These are not the people that I would include if I were, like I would want to sanitize and clean it up, but the fact that I wouldn't include them actually got me asking the question, why were they included, right? Because as I go throughout the list of all of the people, if we don't include sinners in the list of these examples, guess who never gets included? Sinners. There's nobody in this list if sinners aren't included in this list. And so here's the amazing thing. I mean, even David, David comes next. Adulterer, murderer, a man after God's own heart, right? The, the very fact that I wouldn't include them in my list of examples leads you to ask the question, why are they there? Which leads you to some great encouragement. And it's this, these men are not included for their moral fortitude or their resources or their ability. They're included in the list as examples of faith because they believed God, period. That's why they're on this list. They're an example. It's like, don't do what they did. Please don't do what they did. Fathers, do not sacrifice your children on, a, on an altar of burnt offering. Do not do that but believe in Jephthah's God because that's what you'll be remembered for. Don't commit adultery and arrange for the killing of the husband of the woman with whom you've committed adultery. But do believe in David's God because that's how you'll be remembered as a believer. Major moral failings, major sins, but remembered as men of faith. Like I really believe that's part of the point. Like of all of the judges, these four seem to be the worst ones and they're the ones who are mentioned by name from the period of the judges. Just like Rahab, right? We talked about that last week. 
just like Abraham, who tried to, who lied about his wife and almost uh, made her commit adultery. Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, all these people with major moral failings, they're remembered here because they trusted God. Maybe that's just me, but I really find such encouragement in that. It's not that sin doesn't matter. Right? Like that, let's, let's, not get that, let's not get that twisted there. It's not that sin doesn't matter. These, peop- these people really sinned, and they were really accountable for their sin before God. But when we believe, it's credited to us as righteousness. Full stop. And what the author is trying to get across in these verses is that they and others like them, the kings and the prophets, they saw great things happen through their faith. It's not just that they had faith. It's not just that they're remembered for their faith. It's that they saw great, incredible, breathtaking acts of the Lord through their faith. God worked miracles through their faith. They saw their faith triumph over kingdoms in these times. Victories. Their faith overcame significant adversities. Right? It says, uh, look, who through faith, right? 33, conquered kingdoms, Midianite, Ammonite, Aramean, Amorite, Philistine, etc. <laughs> Facing long odds, they trusted God and he fought for them in some really creative ways. Sometimes marching them around the city so that the walls fall flat. Sometimes turning their own swords against them so that the Israelites just watch them fight each other and then run. <laughs> like, God, but God does miracles because they trusted him. And so they conquered kingdoms. Faith conquers kingdoms. They enforced justice. The literal translation is they worked righteousness. This is probably talking about the good kings in Israel um, who concerned themselves with reigning righteously as God would reign. They enforced justice. They worked righteousness. Uh, they obtained promises. We read in Hebrews 6.15 that Abraham, right, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. This is by faith. He waited and he obtained the promises. You think about David obtaining a promise by faith that one of his descendants would sit on the throne of God's kingdom forever, which is pointing forward to Christ. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Then it says, keep, keep reading with me, stopped the mouths of lions. Who does that make you think of? Daniel, who through faith, he was thrown in the lion's den. And I mean, I don't know if this is actually what happened, but the kid's Bible that we, one of them has him like using it as a pillow, like laying his head on the lion to rest. And then it says, they quench the power of fire. Who is that? Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? No VeggieTales? Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They were thrown. They would not bow before the king. And he threw them in the fire. And there was a fourth man with them that looks like a son of God, right? And they're not burned. Their clothes don't even smell like smoke. But when, they're at, when other people like, are throwing them in, they're burned up, right? Like, They quenched the power of fire through faith. They escaped the sword. It says they were made strong out of weakness. This is like 
This is a theme of God's people that they are weak and God makes them strong through their faith. I think about, I mean, think about Gideon's story. We remember him as like the original 300, right? Like he starts out with this big army and God whittles it down and whittles it down. And he says, you're going to fight this huge army with 300 men. And they smash those pots and they just flee. Like it's, it's a rout. They were made strong out of weakness. And God does that so that God gets the glory. He works through weak people so that he gets the glory and he alone. It says they, they put foreign armies to flight. Because of their faith, unbelievers ran from them. Armies ran from them. You're, the author of Hebrews wants us to understand that faith was at the heart of every one of these stories where God's people are triumphant. It's all about believing God. Okay? And then in verse 35a, perhaps some of the greatest triumph of, triumphs of faith that we see is God reversing the power of death. It's one thing for God to cause a living human being to flee. It's another thing for him to cause death to work backwards. And we see that numerous times in the Bible's narratives. Uh, you think about the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. If you're keeping score, you're taking notes. 1 Kings 17, you'll find it there. Elijah raises the widow's son. And the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4. Elisha raises the dead. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says this. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Faith overcomes the world. And their faith in the Old Testament, their faith caused them to accomplish great things. They saw God work in wondrous ways because they believed in their great God. But that's not all that faith does. You see, there's a, there's a shift in tone between 35A and 35B. If you want to look at it, you can, you can see that. We might say that it gets a little bit dark. But here's, here's what we find in 35B through 38. Faith constrained them as they suffered greatly. So faith caused them to accomplish great things and faith constrained them as they suffered greatly. I'm grateful for these verses that help guard us against a prosperity gospel mentality that says that the bad things that happen to you are the result of a failure of your faith, right? Oh, you prayed? You prayed for your poor daughter and she didn't get well, but she died. You didn't believe God enough. Because if you had believed him enough, he would have answered that prayer and she'd be alive today. How manipulative and evil is that? And how, how unbiblical is that mentality? Our author makes it clear that it is equally 
the saints' faith that compelled them forward through the, the most dire, extreme miseries experienced by humanity. Okay. Some, because of their faith, not in spite of their faith, because of their faith, were tortured. That's what it says. Some were tortured. When, when we read that word some, that is talking about some of the people about whom he's been talking. So he's been talking about the prophets and the kings and uh, the, uh, the judges and just the people of God in general. Some of them, the believers, were tortured. And why? They were tortured because they were believers. And it says they refused to accept release. Now, here's the thing. It's not that they were in that you just imagine them in the cell hanging there by the chains and they're like, hey, do you want to get out? Well, come on out. That's not how that went. It wasn't like, no, 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 I can't because if I come out of this cell, I'm not going to rise again to a better life. That, what, what the point of this is saying is, hey, if you would just recant your faith in God, you can get out. We'll let you free. We'll give you all the relief you want right now if you'll just quit believing God. That's what's going on here. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They understood that their resurrection to new life in God's kingdom would far outweigh whatever life they might regain through their relief from prison, release from prison, sorry. So they refused to accept release by recanting so that they might rise again. They, they were looking, in other words, if we could use some of the other descriptions of faith through Hebrews 11, they were looking to the reward. They were looking to him who is unseen. They didn't fear the edict of the king. They feared God instead. And it says they, the same ones, the same type of people, those who were believing, others suffered mocking, ridicule, reviling, flogging, which uh, this is like a whip that you're hit with and it, I don't want to be overly graphic, rips skin off your back. At some point you just see people's insides when they are flogged like this. Um, chains, imprisonment right? for their faith. And then it talks about they were stoned. Stoning um, was a just punishment given to lawbreakers in, in the Old Testament. But what is it called when a lawkeeper is stoned? It's called injustice, unrighteousness. They endured injustice. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. There is, uh, it is outside of the Bible, so we want to be really careful not to take this as gospel truth, uh, but a lot of the early church fathers, I actually read this in one of Athanasius's books, um, says that this is pointing, the person who was sawn in two is pointing to Isaiah. So I'm going to share a little bit of that account tomorrow in the newsletter, like this extra biblical account, but they believe this was Isaiah. And it said that he was sawn into with a wooden saw. 
So you just imagine how difficult that probably, how long that would have taken, how difficult that would have been. Uh, and they, the legend says he, he continued basically to preach God's righteousness until he literally couldn't anymore. Uh, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Like righteous Abel killed by Cain, like Zechariah stoned in the temple court. Look at, look at 2 Chronicles 24. Uh, I don't know. Is it? Do we have it on the screen? Is it up there? 2 Chronicles? Is it uh, able to be displayed? That's Corinthians. I will, I will just read it out of here. Okay, 2 Chronicles. I'm going to 24 here. I'm going to read verses 20 through 22. The Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. He is loving them by telling them the truth. You've forsaken God, turn, so that he won't forsake you anymore because he's forsaken you. It says they conspired against him. And by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Jehoiada was the priest. His son is Zechariah. Zechariah stands and gives a message of righteousness to the people. And in the place where God is worshipped, the man preaching righteousness is stoned. And like Jesus, so right, Abel killed by Cain, like Zechariah stoned in the temple court, and like Jesus, so these people were murdered for their faith. There is no other word to describe the putting to death of the righteous for their righteousness other than murder. And then he talks about they went about in sheeps of skin, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These are uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Bible teachers throughout church history have believed that these are actually pointing to some of the stories that are told or that happened between the time of the Old Testament and the time of the New Testament. We call that the intertestamental period. Uh, to a time called the Maccabean Revolt. I'm going to share more about that in the newsletter tomorrow, but that's what they believe this is probably talking about those things. Um, the world judged these believers unworthy of life. But what do you suppose God has to say about such people? You don't have to wonder. It's right there. Look at verse 38. God's judgment is not that those believers were unworthy of life. It's that the world was unworthy of them. This is the commendation of God on his people. By faith, they are too good for the evil, unbelieving generations they inhabit.
the world's not worthy of God's believing people. So step back with me a moment to look at what we've studied so far as a whole, like just kind of like a 10,000 foot view. Let's take a drone up and look at it uh, from 32 to 38. Um, what does this teach us? Faith is not all triumphs and victories. It's also hard decisions, severe afflictions and endurance of trials and everything in between. So on the one hand, conquering kingdoms. On the other hand, being conquered by kingdoms and everything in between. So let me ask you this, just by way of applying this, which scenarios, as I read these two, I'm just gonna read a series of a couple of scenarios each. Think about which one is indicative of faith, maybe of greater faith. This one, that one, or neither. Some parents pray once and see their children come to faith. Others pray for four decades, trusting God's character. Which one is indicative of greater faith? We might be tempted to tie this miraculous result of this one prayer to great faith and the persistence over 40 years uh, to lesser faith. I believe that our author would call them both equally faith. There's something so inherently good about persevering in faith over the long haul, even when you don't see results. These are just different expressions of great faith in the people of God. Okay, here's another scenario. When the church prays for a woman's husband and he is healed, faith has triumphed. But it's no less triumphant when he dies and the church weeps with and walks alongside her, contributing toward the funeral expenses, helping her pick up the peace for the next 30 years, supporting her in raising her kids, praying for her and continuing to be there for her 30 years after the fact. That is still a triumph of faith. It's maybe not as flashy, but it's every bit as faithful. Consider this, when a believer needs a job, prays and trusts God for a job and gets a job, faith has overcome. But what about when that job requires something immoral of our brother or sister? And that believer stands firm on conviction and loses the job. Has faith failed? No. It's still faith. Faith has still overcome. Or what if the job proves incredibly difficult for whatever reason or reasons and the believer simply endures a difficult situation? It's faith at work. David's faith caused him to be anointed king even while Saul reigned and it caused him to kill Goliath. But his faith was also why he was chased from cave to cave by Saul and refused to kill him. Faith puts David on the throne, but also places him in a cave. In the New Testament, 
Faith caused Paul to make myriad disciples and plant multiple churches, but it was also his faith that caused him to sing in prison after being beaten. Faith compelled him to get up and go on to Derby the day after being stoned and left for dead in Lystra. Faith doesn't just result in happy circumstances and desirable outcomes. It is at times why we suffer and is at work when we suffer. The same faith that grants victory to God's people also makes them willing to suffer for him. Sometimes faith helps you escape the sword and sometimes it gets you killed by it. Right, that's, that's literally, look, this is in here. I didn't just, like, that's not just like a preachery verse that I made up. It says in verse 34, they escaped the edge of the sword. And then in 37, they were killed with the sword. Like sometimes faith helps you escape the sword and sometimes faith gets you killed by the sword. And equally, it's faith at work. Sometimes it shuts the mouths of lions and sometimes it gets you eaten by lions. Sometimes it will mean that you enforce justice or work righteousness and other times it will mean you experience injustice. Sometimes it quenches the power of fire and sometimes it gets you burned at the stake. Sometimes it allows you to conquer kingdoms and others it allows them to conquer you. But all these scenarios listed from 32 to 38, every scenario listed is a triumph of faith. I'm just trying to recalibrate in your mind what it means to be faithful. What faith might look like in terms of results in your life. Here's the truth. The only way that faith doesn't triumph is if you recant, if you give up, if you walk away. That's the only way it doesn't win. That's the only way faith fails is if you give it up. Everything else, either the victory it gives you or how it constrains you to endurance in suffering, everything else is a triumph of faith. Faith overcomes the world in every way. The second thing as we step back from these verses and look at them that this just kind of hit me as I was reading some on this this week. This is our legacy. What we're reading in Hebrews 11. These aren't just random people that just happened to be included in the Bible that did random things. This is our family. This is our heritage as believers. This is who we are, or if I could say it this way, uh, the way that we said it back in uh, country South Carolina, this is where we come from. This right here, this is our heritage. These are our people. It's our legacy, our faith family. This is what the people of God do. They believe their great God against all odds. And even when they're consumed, they don't give up hope. They walk with Christ to death's doorstep. And whether they step over that threshold or are rescued from it, they know they win. Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. 
to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul knows. Paul knows. He wins either way. You let me live, I will tell everybody about Jesus. I will honor him in my body with every breath that he gives me and every word that I speak, every action that I undertake. And if you kill me, I get Jesus. I can't lose. You can't win. Rome, America, world, you can't win. You cannot triumph over the people of God. If you think long enough about this also, you'll realize this isn't only an Old Testament thing. Paul was acquainted with hardship. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He's talking about his weaknesses here. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Struck down, I'm sorry, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. They're refusing to accept relief so they might rise again to better life. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's like Paul's middle name was danger when he lived here. Right? Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and in cold and exposure. This is our legacy. This is faith constraining Paul toward obedience. And he ultimately gave his life to proclaim the worth of God and further the cause of Christ's kingdom. Part of what this means that this is our legacy is that you are a believer because of sacrifices like this. You have a copy of the scripture in your lap or on your phone because of sacrifices like this from someone like William Tyndale who translated the Bible into common English language and the Catholic Church repaid him by putting him to death. Stephen, Peter, Paul, James, William Tyndale, Martin Luther, not killed for his faith, but persecuted for his faith to recover the gospel, right? Et cetera, right? I, time would fail if we continued to recount the numerous people who risked everything and gave everything to proclaim the worth of Christ and to further the cause of his kingdom 
time would fail us. But you are a believer and you have a precious copy of the scriptures because of things like that. This is our legacy. You're a product of that legacy. Praise God for our heritage, our family. This is who we are and where we come from. Would you just ask God to help you share that family trait of being willing to put your yes on the table and say, God, you fill in the details. You be responsible for the results. You have me. The, the final thing that I want to talk about before moving on quickly to verses 39 and 40 um, is the fact that uh, there's a commentator that mentions that the suffering that they experience uh, is, is really as nothing in comparison with what Jesus suffered. We'll do more on that next week when we get into Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But just know he was the sinless sufferer par excellence. And it is he who is our hope. Every victory we experience is owing to his perfect work on the cross. Every suffering we endure will be turned for our ultimate good because of his perfect work on the cross. In all things, our faith looks continually to him. And we understand that he left an example, a pattern for us to follow as we suffer. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. For to this you have been called. To what? If you read, suffering for righteousness, if that should be God's will. Okay? To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued doing what? This is faith, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Right? He suffered injustice and he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly by faith. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. When we suffer in faith, if that should be God's will, we suffer in solidarity with our Savior and with the people, the saints who came before us. The final thing that we see is that faith unites them with us, and that's in verses 39 and 40. And that's how he ends, talking about the solidarity of the people of God. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, we saw this very thing. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Right? They, they believed that God would be faithful to his promises even though they didn't see and experience the fulfillment of all of his promises in their lifetime. They died in faith. That's what he's saying here in 39. 
They were commended through their faith, but they didn't receive what was promised. They looked to that unseen reward. They accomplished great things by faith. They suffered great things by faith. And because of their faith, God testified about them. He commended them. And what's interesting is in verse 40, he actually switches pronouns. Uh, This is not a gender studies class. These are... uh, These are real pronouns and they have real implications Um, because he goes from them to us, right? You see that, right? These committed through their faith did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. From the third person to the second person. God has provided for us And what this means is that the the new covenant believers in Christ have seen the fulfillment that the old covenant believers hoped for but did not see with their eyes. He's provided for us the perfect son of God. And we've talked about whose better high priestly ministry mediates a better covenant enacted on better promises, confirmed and upheld by a better sacrifice to perfect our consciences, which is something the old covenant could not do. So he says, because God provided something better for us, namely this new covenant and the great high priest, they didn't receive all that was promised. In other words, what's being said here is that those old covenant saints don't get to precede us in inheriting and experiencing the very fullness of all the new covenant blessings, nor do we precede them. Faith rather unites us with them and, and it ensures that we will be perfected with them on the last day when all of God's promises and all that we're hoping in, that it comes to fruition. When Jesus returns and brings his kingdom to this earth, establishes the new heavens and new earth and raises our bodies, right, gives us eternal life in a bodily fashion. And on that day, we will be perfected. We will reach the goal along with them. Everything that all of their lives was pointing toward, everything that if we die in faith before Christ returns, that our lives will be looking forward to, we'll all be there together on the last day and we'll all experience it as one people. Faith unites them with us. Right? It says that, that God provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Hebrews 12, 23 mentions that their spirits have already been made perfect. And from that, we can reason that they've not yet reached the full uh, end times goal. They don't share in the bodily resurrected life of the new heavens and the new earth. We're all gonna reach it together. Their faith unites them with us and our faith unites us with them. It is by our faith that we have this legacy of faith. We have joined Abraham's family, which is the family of Christ. Faith in Christ unifies a people. Like, just think about this. Because we know every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, right? We know that. Like, that's make disciples of every nation. And then Revelation 7, we see from every tribe, tongue, people, language, nation, right? We see that. But it's also every age, from the beginning of the world until the end of the world. We're united as one people of God. 
That's amazing. Faith in Christ unifies a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, people, and age into one and ensures they will all inherit the fullness of God's blessed kingdom as one people. Look what faith can do. It causes God's people to accomplish great things. It constrains God's people as they suffer great things and it unites all God's people into one people who will be made perfect together. That, friends, is quite an et cetera, (laughs) isn't it? Let's pray. Father, so much more that could be said where my words and my mind have fallen short. Spirit of God, I'm trusting you um, to work, to help understanding in your people. Um, Where I've lacked the ability to make good application, I'm trusting that your spirit will help your people. And Lord, simply where I am not morally capable of doing the things that I've just preached to the people of God about, I'm trusting your spirit to forgive me and to help me grow and to sanctify me more into the image of Christ so that I am more willing to suffer for the sake of your name. And I am more willing to attribute every victory to faith and not to me or my goodness, or my abilities, or my anything. Jesus, I thank you that you died and were raised to procure from this world one people for your possession. Different colors, different languages, different continents, different age, epochs of human history, you've been gathering a people from the foundation of the world to yourself and you will continue until the new heavens and the new earth. Help us to join you in seeking to bring many sons to glory. Thank you for your word to us. And Lord, we ask this differently, I pray, because we are, we've studied this for four weeks, what faith is. I pray that you would increase our faith. In every sense of that word, increase our faith, oh God. Build us up in our most holy faith. Keep us in your love. Help us to put our yes on the table and let you take care of the results and fill in all the details. Spirit of God, we ask you to do your work in your church. In Jesus' name. grateful that we come to the table of the Lord every single week 
First of all, because Paul, we're going to read it in a minute. Paul says, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So we weekly get an opportunity to proclaim the Lord's death. But also, you know, there are times that you hear something from the word. and you can, What do I do with this? Like, how, I want to, I want to, I want to do something about it. And, and this is the first impulse. Like, this is the first thing that you can do about it is you can come in faith, exercising your faith, looking past the things that are on the table to the realities that they represent, the the reality of the slain and risen Son of God that is more real than the bread that goes into your mouth, more real than the cup that's poured out into your mouth. You look past those things and to reality, the ultimate reality. Your faith is trained to look back on the sacrifice of Christ and to hope in that anew and to look forward to the day when Christ returns and perfects body and soul. And you get to dine with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this looks backward, it looks forward. This is a table of faith. And because of that, this table is only for those who have faith as the Bible talks about faith. It's not just for people who've had a good week, not for people that have it all together. It's for people that say, I know I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I want to lay down my sins and I'm trusting him and him alone. I believe that he died in my place, that he rose again from the dead, and that he's Lord. If that describes you, you're welcome at the table. If it doesn't, we plead with you and urge you to take Jesus instead. Repent of your sins and trust in the good work of Christ that this table proclaims, that his body was broken instead of yours, that his blood was poured out instead of yours so that your sins could be forgiven, you could be set free from the power of sin, and you could know God. You could live forever with Christ. This is what Jesus has done for you. So don't take the bread and the cup if you don't currently believe. Take Jesus instead. If anybody wants to pray, I'll be on the front row. I would love to pray with you about whatever. If you want to kneel at your chair and pray, you do that. If you want to come and kneel at the stairs, you do that. You just follow the leadership of the Lord in in these moments. But what we do is we examine ourselves. We ask the Lord to search our hearts And then we repent of whatever he shows us that is ugly and sinful within us. And we come to the table in faith. Take the bread and the cup, return to your seat, and I'll come back up and we will eat and drink together as one people, representing the unity that we have with one another and the unity that we have with the body of Christ, with the one people of God. So examine yourself and come to the table. Father, we give you thanks for this sign of the new covenant. The new covenant that was established by our great high priest who also became the perfect once for all sacrifice to deal with sin and to perfect our consciences from dead works that we might serve the living and true God. So Lord, help us Help us in these moments to repent of whatever you show us about our sin 
to trust Jesus anew and to come in active faith, trusting him and to have our faith built up as we encounter his presence because we've gathered in his name and he's promised to be here. Lord, work in this time and let the net result of our time together be that we are built up in our faith. Thank you for Jesus and his perfect sacrifice. And we make this prayer in his name. Amen. Table's open. We come to this, your table, but we do not presume that we
As we gather at the Lord's table, we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we spend uh, this moment in every service uh, praying for the nations. Um, I, I forgot to send the slide to, uh, to the media team. And, uh, and so I've also actually forgotten what people group we were going to pray for. So I'm just, I'm just coming clean on that. We will have it next week for you. But right now, let me ask you to do this. Let me ask you to pray. Uh, pick a continent and then think of a nation on that continent and pray that God would save people from that nation on that continent by the preaching of the gospel. Pray that now. Father, I thank you that you are in the business of saving people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group from every age, that you have been working before we were born to bring people to your son, and you will work long after we are dead to bring people to your son unless your son comes back for us before we die. And so we humbly ask that you would raise up disciples all over the world today, that you would change eternal destinies today through the power of the preaching of the gospel and the sovereign power of the spirit that regenerates hearts, that gives ears to hear and that raises the dead. So Lord, would you do that? We pray for the, uh, 
for the Czech people. And we just ask that in that uh, increasingly secular culture that you would that you would work miracles and bring about this kind of faith and plant churches there and raise up people willing to suffer for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. As we started praying, I remembered it's the Czech people in Chechia that we're, that we're praying for. So I did, we did pray for them today. We did it. Okay. Um, handful of announcements. Number one, uh, women's night. This is for any female in the church, any female that wants to be there uh, of of whatever age. It is at Ronnie's house at 6 p.m. That's just in downtown Pineville, down military, a little bit past Harlow's, and you're there. Uh, That's going to be at 6 o'clock Wednesday night. Um, More details will follow in the text thread about what y'all are going to have. Next Sunday is baby dedication. It's October the 8th. Uh, Let me just say quickly, uh, we'll probably have families of people here for baby dedication. If you see a face that you don't recognize, you should always do this, but just make sure that you say, hey, give a handshake or a hug. Tell them you're glad that they're here. Just make people feel welcome. We want want that always to be people's experience, Uh, but especially also, the family members of our members, right? Like we just want to, so if you don't know someone, just go say, hey, thank you for being here. Um, And then the last thing is Fall Festival, Saturday, October the 28th at 2 p.m. We are looking for 10 trunks for the trunk or treat. Uh, If you're you're willing to provide a trunk and some candy, you can talk to Ronnie Williams. She's heading that up. Anybody else have an announcement for us? Aaron? It's a regular need that we have, just an ongoing thing. So, you know, it's like a case of 50 is gone in two days. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, that's all. All right. Can we stand together as we dismiss? Uh, Todd, would you lead us in prayer? Lord, we thank you just for the opportunity we've had today to come to your house to worship you, Lord. We thank you for all that we have lifted up to you. We thank you for all that you have revealed to us. Uh, We thank you for the example of faith that we heard about in Hebrews. Uh, All these wonderful examples for us, God. Help us to follow in their footsteps to realize that they are our heritage. And uh, we thank you for them, for their faith. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, Lord, and what you did for us. For remembering that with the communion celebrating your Lord's Supper. Lord, we just uh, pray that each of us would be filled with your spirit, filled with all those things that you want to fill us up with this morning. Thank you for the time we've had together. Thank you for each of the children, each of the adults, everybody that's here. And we just pray you'd help each of us, God, to be about that faith that you want us to have. And help us also to remember to pray for those that are, even today, suffering for their faith in many places. So just help us, again, in that journey of faith to keep our eyes on you and to do exactly what you want us to do each and every day 
We thank you for being with us each step of the way. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christmas.